So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Good job. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Feature Creep, colon. Built-in microwaves, semicolon. Uh, lax at last. Lax at last. Yeah. Woo. Woo. Uh, um, yeah. So welcome to Feature Creep. And this is Meg and I am Ned. Or this is Ned and you are Meg. And I am Meg. I am Meg and you are Ned. Yeah. How am I not myself? <laughs> How am I not <laughs> um, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, right. Where were we? So Henrietta Lacks uh, is mm-hmm. recently been in the news again uh, because, if correct me if I'm wrong, her family has settled a lawsuit um, or has reached a settlement. Yes. With uh, which company was it? Um, they. Uh, let me look really quick. Um, I have all of the like historical stuff pulled up, but none of the current events. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair because this is what triggered. Uh, um, oh, right, uh, Thermo Fisher. Right. Yes, yes, yeah. Thermo yeah. Fisher. So, um, yeah. So on Tuesday, they announced uh, that the family of Henrietta Lacks reached a settlement of their lawsuit against Thermo Fisher over the use of cells in scientific research. Um, yeah. I. I don't know that I'm fully prepared to go into the all of the nuance of what happened there, but I definitely want to cover like the kind of if you have yeah. no idea about this, it's a very fascinating, interesting story that's had a huge impact both on the scientific community as well as I imagine um, kind of a lot of people who think about and are concerned with civil rights. Yes. Uh, to um, name a few, I mean, it's, and yeah, and bio, that's, like, it's, it touches so many things. Mm-hmm. It touches on so many things because her, the use of her biological material created like near ubiquitous data. I yes. mean, like at, almost, it is at, any kind of genetic medicine being done, um, any kind of like, any kind of really advanced medicine mm-hmm. that deals with like cells and cell replication and like DNA and cell lines and doing things to cells in the name of science and medicine, like all of that, it just like cascaded from her mm-hmm. from like, like mid century. Um, I have, uh, there's a newspaper in Minnesota, the Minnesota spokesman recorder. Yes. That is, uh, like an, a very old newspaper. It's been around for a really long time. Um, and it has served the black community and featured stories about um, black Minnesotans for like um, over a hundred years. Um, and they have an interesting story that they published that I am going to read a little bit from that kind of like describes um, what the situation is. So uh, currently living relatives, the descendants uh, and, and living relatives of Henrietta Lacks, who is a woman who lived, um, she was an adult in the 1950s. Uh, they have their family, her family has reached a confidential settlement with Thermo Fisher Scientific, which is a biotechnology company valued at over $200 billion. So like a massive, massive, super wealthy company. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, They have made all of their 
money, essentially, yeah. off of using regenerative biological cell samples taken from Henrietta Lacks in the 1950s without ever asking her for permission to do that. And just we'll get into this later, but that goes against basically all of the foundational ethical principles in medicine as we understand them now. Mm-hmm. Um, like bioethics wasn't really a thing that came around until the 1970s. And um, so like the context, the discipline in which to think about this situation wasn't really well developed. And bioethics today is notoriously racist. And so, so is medicine. So like they don't even have that much to say about it. Nothing, nothing, (laughs) um, (laughs) nothing worthy of admiration. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, um, So Ben Crump, who many people may know for his advocacy of black victims of police violence and an attorney named Chris Seeger, who has led class action suits. Um, Those two attorneys held a press conference with the surviving members of Henrietta Lacks' family in Baltimore on August 1st, which would have been her 103rd birthday, Henrietta Lacks' 103rd birthday. And they announced that they resolved the matter of the use of her biological material without consent outside of a court and they reached a settlement and nobody's saying what that settlement was. Um, the, the, the lawsuit addresses a problem that has been a problem for 70 fucking years. So like longer than probably anybody listening to this podcast has been alive. Yeah. This has been a problem. Um, Henrietta Lacks went to the doctor because she was experiencing bleeding and it turned out she had cervical cancer and she was treated at Johns Hopkins Hospital for cervical cancer. And it was there that they determined that her cells were unique from other human beings cells in in certain ways Mm -hmm. that made them. um, Well, it turns out it made them very useful to people who wanted to do research and make money off of that research. so the basis of this lawsuit, the basis, the, the problem is that uh, Thermo Fisher Scientific, other companies like them, and places like Johns Hopkins Hospital used Henrietta Lacks's biological material. Those cells, they made the argument that her cells belonged to her and that companies should pay her or now her surviving descendants for using them in research and product development especially. So last year, Ben Crump said that the situation itself before the settlement was indicative of the black struggle. I'm quoting here indicative of the black struggle for equality and respect in America because it's a racial justice issue. When you think about it in its purest form, the children of Henry Ford, they're able to benefit from his contributions to the world. So this is about like ownership. This is about intellectual property rights. This is about who gets to do what with research contributions and materials. This is about who has the right to make money off of data and information and research. Um, Thermo Fisher Scientific contended, argued against the descendants and said that the descendants waited too long to take legal action and that other companies also use Henrietta Lacks' cells without the family's consent. So why are they being singled out? Um, Henrietta Lacks's cancer treatment in 1951 was unsuccessful and she died of cervical cancer and complications of it. 
And following her death, researchers at Johns Hopkins discovered that the cells sampled from her cervix could regenerate outside the human body. This is what makes them unusual and it makes them very valuable because you don't have to... Because Henrietta X's cells exist and because they've been reproduced um, and because they can survive and reproduce outside of a, a human host body, they are like these great little packages for um, reproducing and then testing stuff against because you have this great baseline and right. you can run tests over and over again and it's always going to be the same starting cells you're operating with and they they behave in a certain way and it's a way that other people's cells don't and so they're uniquely valuable, right? Yeah, and because they're immortalized, <laughs> um, which this happens in different ways, um, but cancer in general is typically a problem of an immortal cell line, right? That has that has mutated inside your body and now the cells are continuing to grow when they should be regulated by um, like other mechanisms that are going to keep them limiting. from yeah, limiting factor, which allows you to continue to hold the shape of your body and function the way you need to. Um, yeah. And so because these cells had a mutation that caused the cancer, but also meant that um, you can uh, it's not that the cells like won't die, like things can damaged and destroy them like sure. um you know they need they need sort of the nutrients and the various like resources that those particular kind of cells need in order to continue to thrive sure life support of some kind right but in mm -hmm. but you can now culture and grow these cells like in a laboratory environment and you can continue to yes. replicate the cells and share them with other people so um, essentially indefinitely yeah essentially indefinitely yeah. which is what they've done um right. you can still use um, so they're referred to as HeLa cells, H, mm -hmm. capital H, lowercase e, lowercase capital e. L, lowercase a. Lowercase a, a for um, Henrietta Lacks. It's yeah. the two, first two letters of her first and last name. Yeah, and so um, the HeLa cell line is immensely useful, right? Like you were describing, yes. because they're human cells, so we're, they're a much better real-world biological model of other human cells. Um, right. And so you can test drugs against them. You can learn about the mechanism without experimenting directly on a human being or, mm -hmm. or taking cell samples from somebody with cell samples that are going to otherwise not replicate in, in, um, in what's it called? Vitro, right? Um, yes. Yeah. Like in, in vitro means in a living person. Yeah. Or, or sorry, no, we're, or no, uh, in not go ahead. Oh no! I was gonna say we're talking about in a lab, so that's uh in yeah uh, in vivo is in, in vivo. a living person, and in vitro is in like a lab dish. Yeah, like right? yeah, basically yeah, in yeah. a test tube, you can <laughs> you can stick some cellular nutrient broth, and you can stick these cells, and they will thrive and continue to grow um, yeah. and replicate. You don't need a human body. Yeah, you don't need a human body, and so you can really easily model small parts of cellular tissue to do all kinds of drug tests and learn all about biological processes, which is yeah. what Thermo Fisher did as well as selling um, or providing that cell line to other companies. Right. The, I mean, it's, uh, you can't overstate how important these cells were to yeah. like, how we exist in the world today. And what we think of is like when you go to the doctor and you get medicine and like how, how we've arrived at this point is like heavily dependent on those cells. <clears throat> they were instrumental in developing polio vaccines. They were instrumental in developing COVID-19 vaccines. They are like the reason we have the most common fertility treatment. Yeah. I mean, so 
like other companies, the family and Ben Crump acknowledge that other companies besides Thermo Fisher Scientific sell Laxis cells and biotech companies and labs globally use them for various types of research. And the family has said that they may also try to take action against those companies. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point is for like <clears throat> 70 straight years, her contributions to science went unrecognized. There were people here and there, like you and I were talking about earlier, Ned, about how there have been scientists who are like, this is bullshit. Like, this is it's not okay how this happened and we need to do something to correct it. But like, it wasn't, it, it didn't have like a ton of traction. And I think the fact that, <clears throat> that her family and, and these other attorneys have sued is maybe not because they want the money to personally benefit from. I have a feeling that because of the culture that we've created, the only recourse they have is financial recourse. Right. That's the only thing law that that's the only thing law provides for reconciliation, right? right? Like we don't, we don't have, so these are, they're not greedy people or anything like that. They're just like our one option. We can either do nothing and just let everybody be a fucking asshole and get away with this. Or we can take the one option that we have. And that option that's available to us is to file suit over this. And it was settled without the lawsuit being decided in court. Like it was, they reached an agreement. So I frankly hope they do like fucking sue those other companies. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's really, really complicated because there is some argument to be made for well, but their 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 anger or frustration over this isn't that people benefited in a sort of like health way, like right? No, you know, it's that um, some people took something from her, right? Used it in ways that she was neither consulted about or asked for permission or even told about, and on one hand like philosophically her contribution has has changed the course of human history and the survivability of diseases and the lifespan of human beings i mean like it's uh, everything comes from this yeah and not only was she not recognized for her contribution in the abstract for like saving all these people and improving the quality of life for people who don't have to suffer through polio and who Uh, don't have to die. Not only that, these other companies then took that research that they did and profited wildly off of it. I mean, that's really the issue, right? Is that, I I mean, this $216 billion (laughs) fucking Thermo Fisher scientific is worth. Yeah. That's their market cap. Yep. That's ridiculous. I mean, it's ridiculous to begin with that a fucking whatever. Yeah. Uh, but to, to take all that money and to not give even like acknowledgement to what cr- created the possibility for creating all of that money. So like they made a movie about Henrietta Lacks. Um, her grandson, Ron Lacks, said it's a real honor to have a family member that's genetic makeup is that important to the world when people are profiting from her. And some of my family members can't even afford proper medical care. You know, it's like she's on the auction block, he said. Yeah. As loving as my grandmother was, she would have definitely said, well, what about my family? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fucked up. I mean, to be honest, like this is something I think is very relatable. It's like, you know, when 
when these companies that even when you work for them are making billions and billions of dollars and you're struggling to make rent or navigate the fucking insane healthcare system that you're forced into, I mean, you just don't have a choice. Right. And I don't mean forced into in the sense of like, Oh, Obamacare. I mean, forced into, and there are no other choices. Yeah. One assumes one wants to live. So then, you know, you're left with being forced to navigate these insane fucking healthcare systems that yeah. are, you know, just, yeah, anyway. I mean, so much of medicine comes from the, the uh, unacknowledged contributions and extreme suffering of black people in this country. Like the entire branch of medicine called OBGYN started yeah. because slave owners white slave owning men in the south would like vivisect black women to see what made them tick and like that's where gynecology comes from they would just cut up up, cut apart enslaved women without anesthetic or anything because they were like well it doesn't matter because they can't feel anything because they're not really people and so like just just to be clear vivisection is the uh cutting open of a live specimen yeah person animal like you're doing stuff to them while they're alive. Right. So like the, the contributions of black people to what we are able to benefit from in modern medical science is often overlooked. And the cruelty with which that science, that scientific knowledge was obtained is often very much overlooked. And so that has to be stated and taking her cells after her death and using them to benefit other people is like one of the less obvious maybe ways of doing it. Like she wasn't overtly harmed while she was still alive. They tried to treat her for cancer and it wasn't until after she was dead that they realized what they had. And so at least in her case, they were trying to help her before she died and they took her. Right. Her samples and use them. Um, But that's like a cold comfort in the grand scheme of things. It's just one more instance where a a black person's um, like health data, what as we would call it now, um, their samples, their their actual pieces of their person (laughs) were used to benefit other people. Like it doesn't get more no um, like basic than that. Like. You gave up your body for science. Yeah. So this, uh, like, the Wikipedia entry about Henrietta Lacks is pretty cool. They discuss her early life. She was born in 1920 in Virginia. Um, She apparently was, like, had a really, like, tidy appearance. Like, she always wore perfect red nail polish, and her skirts were pleated. Um Apparently, she was given the name Loretta, but changed it to Henrietta and was nicknamed Henny. Uh, when she was four years old, her mother died while giving birth to her mother's 10th child, so Henrietta's sibling. Mm-hmm. And um, their father couldn't take care of all of those 10 kids alone, and so he moved the family to a different part of Virginia, and all the kids were dispersed among relatives that could take them in so the family got split up and she ended up Henrietta Lacks ended up with her maternal grandfather mm-hmm. whose name was Tommy um, and uh, Thomas Henry Lacks but he went by Tommy 
and she lived in a two-story log cabin that was once slave quarters on a plantation owned by Henrietta's white great-grandfather and great-uncle. So she was a descendant not only of people who owned slaves, but people who, like, had children with those slaves. Right. Um, she shared a room with her nine-year-old first cousin and also the person she would grow up to marry, David Day Lax. His nickname was Day. Um, he died in 2002, and he was born in 1915, so he's just a few years older than her. Um, she worked as a farmer. She tended the garden. She fed animals. She worked in tobacco fields. Um, she dropped out of school to help the family when she was in sixth grade. She had a kid named Lawrence when she was 14. Um, she also had a daughter named Elsie, and uh, Elsie had epilepsy and cerebral palsy and was described by the family as different um, and deaf and dumb. And so uh, that's that's how the family talked about her. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, at that David, time. Yeah, at that time. David Day, uh, her husband Day, and she got married in Virginia, mm-hmm. and um, they moved to Baltimore County, and uh, they were part of one of the oldest and largest African-American communities in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see here. Uh, they, uh, something happened to her daughter, Elsie. Like she had some kind of a surgery, like a head surgery yeah. where they either drained fluid off from her brain or uh, something happened with that, um, with her, her child. And, she died, I think, when she was 15. Yeah, Whoa. she died in 1955 at 15 years of age. Um, a little before that, in 1951, Henrietta went to Johns Hopkins mm-hmm. with, because it was the only hospital she could go to that treated black patients <clears throat> because she said she felt a knot, which I'm assuming was a tumor of some kind, right? Yeah. Like, What's that lump? We call it a lump. Um, (laughs) She told her cousins about it and they were, they were like, Oh, you're probably pregnant. But then uh, they, they were right. In spite of the fact that they were right, she gave birth to her son, Joseph and had a severe hemorrhage and was referred back to Johns Hopkins. At which point they took a biopsy of a mass on her cervix and it, she found out she had malignant epidermoid carcinoma of the cervix so she had cervical cancer damn and um so they said they the diagnosis was malignant epidermoid carcinoma of the cervix but in 1970 after her death uh she it was determined that she was actually misdiagnosed and had an adenocarcinoma and this was a common mistake at the time so whatever treatment they gave her it would not it, it, it like it would have been different yeah if they had identified it correctly so there's no telling i mean i think a lot of women died of cervical cancer back then regardless yeah like maybe even if they had i don't know what they did for cancer cancer in the 1950s like not yeah. much they had just invented penicillin right right <laughs> like people still died of strep throat because we didn't have antibiotics. Yes. Yeah. So like what they could have done about any cervical cancer, correct diagnosis or not is kind of like, it's questionable, questionable. for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
And um, I mean, one could argue that like that's part of the whole thing, right? It's like, you know, diagnosis is part of the treatment and the fact that that was wrong is, you know, yeah. Like, oh, I'm, I misspoke earlier. They said the treatment would not have differed, but I think the reason for that is because they basically like oh, because right because they get cancer and they're like I don't know. Yeah, they're like this uh, is the thing we do that works with some cancers. Yeah. Or, so the way that they treated her, yeah, uh, is through brachytherapy, which is what we call it now. Yeah. Um, it's where they insert radium tubes into your body near where you have cancer to cause radiation to kill the cancer and probably anything that touches the yes yeah the radium tubes so when you see this on an x-ray it is quite shocking because you know on an x-ray you see like someone's skeleton and then like the faint outline of their yeah. organs and their skin on top of that or, or surrounding those yeah like what you see is her pelvis I mean, not her pelvis, but I see a picture. I'm looking at a picture of radium tube inserts mm -hmm. um, and brachytherapy. And what you see is in the like near the pelvic opening of the bone structure, just a smattering of dots and little little dash lines. They look like because they're little mm -hmm. rods, little tubes that they've inserted into this person's body in this x-ray and they show up and they're just like, it's a constellation of them just like in there, just like in your body. Yeah. These like little seeds almost. Yeah. Yep. So she was treated with those um, as an inpatient. And then a few days after in doing the radium tube inserts, they just sent her away with instructions to return for x-ray treatments as a follow-up. Mm -hmm. And during her treatments, this is like the fateful moment, right? Two yeah. samples were taken from her cervix without her permission or knowledge. Mm -hmm. So while they were putting radium in and while they were doing all this other stuff and taking x-rays and stuff, they also did some other shit to her that they didn't tell her about. So without her permission or her knowledge, one sample of healthy tissue was taken mm -hmm. and one sample of the cancerous tissue was taken. And these samples were given to a physician and cancer researcher at Johns Hopkins, a man named George Otto Gay. I think it's pronounced gay. G-E-Y. Yeah. And um, the cells from the cancerous sample it's were the gee. ones that no, bore yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the ones that uh gee, the ones that um the cells from the cancerous sample are now the the famous or infamous Gila immortal cell line. Yeah. As we mentioned, the reason that they are immortal is because they were cancerous and that cancerous mutation, the mutation that causes the cancer also causes the, the cells themselves to not not die outside of the body like they normally would in other people. Right. And so that is that's where the cells came from that we now use in biomedical research and contemporary research. Yeah. So in nineteen fifty one, on August eighth, she was thirty one years old. She went in for a routine treatment session and asked to be admitted due to continued severe abdominal pain. She received blood transfusions and she remained at the hospital from August 8th until October 4th of 1951 when she died. And the autopsy showed that the cancer had metastasized throughout her entire body. So she was buried in an unmarked grave in a family cemetery in Virginia called Laxtown. Mm -hmm. Lax's exact burial location is unknown. Uh, they think she was buried within a few feet of her mom's grave. 
uh, and her mother, they say this because her mom was the only one in the family to have been marked with a tombstone. So if they were going to put family members with her, they'd just put them somewhere nearby. Right. It's safe to assume. Um, so a faculty member of the Morehouse School of Medicine who had worked with George Gay, the physician who received her cells, mm-hmm. um, who knew the Lax family, they donated a headstone. And this prompted her family to raise money for a headstone for Elsie, her daughter, who died. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they were both dedicated on the same day. Um, and uh, her epitaph which her grandchildren wrote, reads, in loving memory of a phenomenal woman, wife and mother who touched the lives of many, here lies Henrietta Lacks, Gila. Her immortal cells will continue and help mankind forever. Eternal love and adver- admiration from your family. Mm-hmm. So the first researcher, that guy, Otto, George Otto Gay, who re- received the cancerous cells, yes. observed that they reproduced at a very high rate and could kept, be kept alive long enough outside of the body to allow more in-depth examination than is usually possible. Right. <clears throat> so, like, usually cells cultured for laboratory studies, like, only hang around for a day or two at the most, and then they're, like, pooped out because there right. none of the life support that allows a cell to continue to exist is there. It's, it's just, like, out in the void. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, the, so I think, uh, interesting note, um, yeah, the, uh, the Gila cell line were the first, um, the first recorded immortalized cell line. There are, huh. there are like others. They didn't know that could happen before they figured this out with Henry. Lack. Yeah. And they're like, I wonder if other people have these cell lines as well. Yeah. There are others. There are some that are derived from, um, uh, from stem cells, which is kind of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, where that cells. Yeah. Um, there are, uh, PC 12 cells I used when I did research. Um, mm-hmm. they are a type of, uh, rat cell that's also basically a cancer cell that has you know mm. was immortalized through its mutation so it's like taken from a rat tumor yep. um you know which i guess arguably has less ethical concerns than a human being but mm, that's only because we do not afford the same status of agent to animals that we do to human beings right right um yeah, just, yeah. i'm just just pointing that yeah out yeah like no no, no. i mean that's what that's like why i mention it right yeah, like yeah. i'm like not you know i'm just saying it's like you know there's no one to stand up and be like well i'm outraged for the rats right. um <laughs> you know. i am just for the record outraged <laughs> yes. for the rats and every other non-human animal that has ever been made a means to an end for human purposes yeah so they um uh, anyway so there are lots i don't know about lots but there are mm-hmm. certainly more than just the gila cell line um, but sure. they're the first of record or on record. Um, mm-hmm. I think of record is the right language there. Anyway, um, yeah. So it's just it's a really it, it's a really interesting story too. Like I also want to encourage uh, people to there is a book um, called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Yeah, and I think that was the one that made into the movie with Oprah. <laughs> okay, yeah. So it was written by uh, Rebecca Sloot, and and she wrote it or published it in two thousand ten. Um, mm. I'm pretty sure I read it back then. Um, it's been quite a while, but I was familiar with, um, cause I was in biochemistry at school at that right. time. And so there was a lot of discussion about this. Um, there was, to be fair, there was a lot of discussion of Henrietta Lacks when I first started biochemistry in like 2001, when I first okay, tried so to go. Like, 
50, roughly 50 years after. Yeah. I can't speak to before then. I just know that's when I entered, I started entering the kind of industry of like working and learning about, about that biology and biochemistry. So as far as we know, at least as late, late, lately as 2001, people openly gave a shit about this who worked in. Yeah. Cause you work in it. I did not work with uh, HeLa cells. I worked, like I Mm -hmm. said, with PC 12 cells back then, um, which were rat cells, but I was familiar. Like, you know, you learn about these things and people discuss them and there's, um, you know, there were a lot of discussions. I, I do remember with like post grads and other students who did interact with the cells and, you know, kind of, you know, questions were being asked, like, you know, where did, you know, how does this work? Like, you know, and and at that time there was a lot of concern. I mean, you know, rightfully so about like the ownership of DNA, right? Like who owns my DNA? Right. You don't own your own DNA. It turns out, well, the courts don't think so anyway. Right. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a, it's, it's a pretty complicated issue. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the, uh, the, the fact that like her cells reproduced so quickly was what meant they they could use them in ways that led to breakthroughs in biomedical research that were previously impossible because of the limitations of biology right right um like uh by 1954 they were using the hela cells to develop the polio vaccine in jonas salk's laboratory so like within three years of her dying yeah um, and like, uh, there was a virologist, Chester Southam, who injected her cells into cancer patients, prison inmates, healthy individuals, and observed whether the cancer could be transmitted as yes. well as to examine if one Fuck could become immune shit. to cancer by developing an acquired immune response. So like I, the, the bioethicist in, in me is like, okay, well, were any of those fucking people consulted because like <laughs> cancer patients and prison inmates maybe not so much the healthy individuals like i i would think if anyone was told those people might be told but the prison inmates and the cancer patients it would be very easy to like slip in yeah procedures without discussing it with them and i'm sure that prison inmates were not a consent of any kind was not obtained because mm-hmm. it usually isn't um well anyway the cells were in like super high demand and they ended up getting mailed all over the fucking planet for cancer aids radiation Mm -hmm. toxic substances gene mapping like um they've been used to test sensitivities in humans to tape glue cosmetics other products there are eleven thousand patents Mm -hmm. using this woman's cells Mm mm-hmm 11,000 instances where the use of her cells was so novel and so meaningful that they got a patent and have been making money off of it since. Whoever they are, whoever those 11,000 patent holders are. So in the early 1970s, um, like a large portion of other cell cultures became contaminated by HeLa cells. And as a result, members of Henrietta Lacks's family received solicitations for blood samples from researchers, hoping to learn about the family's genetics in order to differentiate between Mm -hmm. HeLa cells and other cell lines. So like not only were they like completely uh, careless and, and disregarded whether or not she would want any of this to happen. And they just stole her biological information and, yeah. and, and substances. They basically were like, uh, is there anybody else in your family that could be financially useful to us too? And like, could you like, let us know because we kind of fucked up and we contaminated everything. And we screwed up this like once in amazing one at that point, once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. Anyway, like, 
uh, several family members were like, I'm sorry, what? And they began questioning why they were getting so many telephone calls Mm -hmm. from strangers asking for their blood. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1975, they, some of the family were at a dinner party having a conversation about material originating in Henrietta Lacks that was being used for medical research. And prior to this, the family had never, ever talked about her illness or death amongst themselves. So, like, they found out 20 years later, they got the fucking subtitles after watching the film and living through it and not knowing what was going on. 20 years later, somebody's like, oh, yeah, this is a thing. So, Uh, like, neither her nor her family gave permission to physicians to harvest her cells. Permission was neither required nor customarily sought at that time because, like I said, bioethics wasn't even a thing until the 1970s, like the late 1970s. Mm-hmm. So, like, nobody was even asking, like, is this good for anybody or, like, is it bad for anybody? And, like, who right. is it good or bad for until, like, 25 years after this all happened? So, like, um, uh, let's see. Because the cells were used in medical research and commercial purposes, the family medical records were published without family consent. And a similar issue was brought up in the Supreme Court of California case of Moore versus the Regents of University of California in 1990. The court ruled that a person's discarded tissue and cells are not their property and can be commercialized. So, like, capitalism fucks up everything again. So, fast forward to 2013, right? Yep. Researchers publish a DNA sequence of the genome of a strain of HeLa cells. The Lax family discovers this when the author informed them. Rebecca Skloot let them know. And there were objections from the Lax family about the genetic information that was available. Um, one of the grandchildren of Henrietta Lax said the biggest concern was privacy. Mm-hmm. And I'm quoting here from Wikipedia. What information was actually going to be out there about our grandmother and what information they can obtain from her sequencing that will tell them about her children and grandchildren and going down the line. End yeah. quote. So um, someone with NIH funding, uh, like, let's see here. There was an agreement between Henrietta Lacks's family and the NIH that gave the family some control over access to the DNA sequence found um, in her cells. Mm-hmm. And like evidently two family members will be joining the six member committee that regulates access to the sequence data. So October, 2021 Lax's estate filed suit against Thermo Fisher scientific July 31st, 2023. They settled with the Lax family under under undisclosed terms. So that brings us up to today. Yeah. Um, it's just fucking nuts. Uh, like in uh, like this is, this is so, this is such a huge issue that has crept into like popular culture and consciousness. Like people who don't know anything about bioengineering or genetics or like uh, drug and, and cancer treatment research, like uh, people who don't know anything about that know about this woman, especially now because she's been popularized through like different forms of media, like storytelling and movies and stuff with Oprah. And like the conversation around whether race affected her treatment and the lack of obtaining her consent and her relative obscurity, mm-hmm. um, like that, the question of how and how, you know, how or whether her race affected her, I'm not even gonna like agree with that. That's what it says here, but like I, exactly how it affected her because clearly it's not whether. 
Everything right. in this country is racialized. It can't not affect her treatment and the lack of obtaining consent and her relative obscurity. Right. So it's just a matter of how and when and how much. Um, so, yeah, I it's a, a lot of like stories, documentaries, books, uh, HBO movies, like NBC Law and Order, mm-hmm. um, uh, lots of projects. The HELA Project, a multimedia exhibition to honor her, opened in Baltimore in 2017 at the Reginald F. Lewis Museum of Maryland, African American History and Culture. I would love to see that. Um, there's a play. It's uh, super, super interesting how much her influence has suffused into the culture and like yeah. how many people are aware of it. Um, it's it, it, like in a context today, if, if somebody went to a doctor today and it was discovered that they had cervical cancer and that the can the mutation that resulted in the cancer also resulted in that person having a similarly um, immortal cell line, mm-hmm. there would be, hypothetically Mm -hmm. a lot more care given to informing that person making sure that person understands what that actually means functionally financially politically legally biologically scientifically medically and then asking that person whether or not they would be willing to give up parts of their body to be studied and used later potentially long after they're gone to benefit other people it would be like a big discussion. And there are like serious ethical frameworks at this point. Well, there's been a serious effort put into ethical frameworks that may not themselves be super, super serious right. because let's, we'll just say those ethical frameworks now exist to address questions like this in medicine, but the frameworks themselves were like developed by a couple of white American guys in the 1970s. And they didn't take into account the same things that other people didn't take into account when they just took Henrietta Lacks shit without asking her. Right. So, like, not perfect, but at least there's, like, sort of a roadmap for how to begin the conversations and how to, like, yeah, the thing with yeah. ethics is you're like, okay, well, here's the question, right? But is this question adequate? Like, does it address all of the que- all of the, the areas of the question that need to be addressed for the question to be a sufficient question to be answered? Like, do do we care about race and gender and informed consent and is informed consent even possible and this and that and the other thing. So like what they did to her is not how they do things now. Right. We, we think. I mean, it's at least on the face of it, right? Like it is no less, uh, it is no more difficult at this point to do things to people without explaining what you're doing. I mean, you can still do it. People go to the doctor because they need an expert to help them with a problem they don't have yeah. a way of helping themselves right. deal with. And so at some point, you just have to trust that what you are being told is the truth and that it is complete right. and, and, and that it is accurate. And that is not necessarily true. And I personally, the reason I studied bioethics was because I was treated by doctors in a way that disregarded my autonomy and disregarded my, um, my ethical standing yeah. disregarded my agency and had I understood at the time before I went to grad school how severe the problem was I would have had a very successful malpractice lawsuit and I didn't understand that until after the fact and now it's too late but my point in saying this is that I am a white person in Minneapolis in 2023 and when my patient autonomy was severely violated was in 2015 yeah so they're still doing it 
to people. I don't think anything of my body was stolen from me to be used for other people's profit without telling me the circumstances around my situation were different from this. But nonetheless, mm. nonetheless, it was my autonomy was overridden so that mm -hmm. a doctor could do something they thought was in my best interest without discussing it with me first, which was like completely, totally fucking unacceptable in a modern context. Yeah. So like this is actually a huge deal. And I the reason that I titled this podcast episode Lax at Last is because it's taken we have known of the problem. We have acknowledged the problem and we yeah. have refused to do anything about the problem up until like literally a couple of days ago. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing to me that like we're on the cusp of curing AIDS, cancer, fixed polio, did a bunch of this other shit, figured out COVID, all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Happened over fucking night in the grand scheme of things. But for sure, it's going to take us 70 years to pay some people who are the descendants of the person who saved the human race. Right. Yeah. Like trivial amounts of money. I can't imagine that the settlement was um, a punishing amount of money for the company. Right. It couldn't be because it would have to bankrupt them. Like, right. in my opinion, if you are such an egregious organization that what you do or make kills people or maims them or things like that, then if the only punishment that we have a framework for is financial, then you should be bankrupted through fees and, and yeah. fines because you should lose your privilege to make money off of other people at that point because you can't be trusted with it. And yeah. I wonder, like, you know, one of the things that spirals outward from this is, is like we discussed earlier. So they take these HeLa cells without asking. Yeah. They do a bunch of experiments. How many of those experiments were performed without asking? I mean, how far out does the violation spiral and spiral because of further harms that were perpetuated on unsuspecting people who were themselves victimized by the cells of a victimized person? Mm -hmm. I mean, that shit's heavy. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, it is heavy. So the financial compensation is like, like I said, it's like, it's the least anyone can do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I think, uh, let's see here. There was an interesting, so Ho Johns Hopkins medicine mm -hmm. has uh, a page at hopkinsmedicine.org slash Henrietta Lacks slash, uh, and the page says, honoring Henrietta and they have sort of a biography. Um, they talk about her incredible cells um, that are used to study the effects of toxins, drugs, hormones, and viruses on the growth of cancer cells without experimenting on humans. So the whole trade off here is we can't understand how drugs or treatments or uh, experiments will impact human living people because it is unethical to just start throwing spaghetti at the wall and experimenting on living humans to see what happens. Mm -hmm. And so the value of Henrietta Lacks's cells that can live for several days outside of a human body is that they still behave like cells inside of a human body. Right. They're just not in a human anymore. And so you can experiment on them without harming the greater organism, the human that those cells belong to. So there's all kinds of research that can be done using her cells that it would be absolutely, completely unethical to perform on other people because right. you would have to perform it on them while they are alive and that would be really, really bad. Because you might kill them. 
You might have really terrible results from your experiments. So like they kind of acknowledge here all of this, uh, her huge contribution to humanity is that we can study all of the effects of this stuff without harming any other people. And it's like, well, if it's that fucking important, right? You, you are, you are clearly like ethically repugnant for not treating it with more respect the whole time. Right. So they say, uh, although Mrs. Lax ultimately passed away on October 4th, 1951, at the age of 31, her cells continue to impact the world. These were the first cells that could be easily shared and multiplied in a lab setting. Uh, Johns Hopkins has never sold or profited from the discovery or distribution of HeLa cells and does not own the rights to the HeLa cell line. Johns Hopkins offered HeLa cells freely and widely for scientific research. So they're trying to... Hmm. Not my bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> not, it, not it. Didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Right? right. Johns Hopkins applauds and regularly participates in efforts to raise awareness of the life and story of Henrietta Lacks. Having reviewed our interactions with Henrietta Lacks and with the Lacks family over more than 50 years, we found that Johns Hopkins could have and should have done more to inform and work with members of Henrietta Lacks' family out of respect for them, their privacy, and their personal interests. Though the collection and use of Henrietta Lacks' cells and research was an acceptable and legal practice in the 1950s, such a practice would not happen today without the patient's consent. I, I find it interesting that they explicitly say we should have done more because of our respect for them and their privacy and their personal interests. Yeah. Like they specifically spell out like, Oh, we should have had more respect for them and their privacy. Not like these people in the framework that we operate in yeah. should be reaping literally all of the profits from this. Right. Right. And we're not going to go so far as to say that. Right. We're just going to say, you know, out of respect for them, we should have done better. So they say they're deeply committed to ongoing efforts at their institutions and elsewhere to honor her contributions and to ensure the appropriate protection and care of the family's medical information. This is something about like genetic information that's really freaky. Like yeah. you and your near relatives and maybe even some of your distant relatives are so fucking alike in your DNA that if you find something out about one of your relatives, the same thing is basically true of you from like an overarching genetic standpoint like mm -hmm. this is why um this causes lots of problems like if ned if you and i were brother and sister if somebody got your dna they could extrapolate an awful lot about me without even having to know anything directly about my dna because you and i would be so similar right and this is a problem legally especially because sites like ancestry.com 23andme solicit voluntarily the genetic material from a wide range of people and when those people give it up certain things can be known about people genetically related to them who did not voluntarily give up their genetic information and did not intentionally share it with anybody commercial or otherwise right. and then those third parties those commercial entities like ancestry.com and like 23andme have these backdoor relationships with the police where they're like hey if you need to catch a serial killer or try and find a rapist we'll share information that might give you the pathways genetically to eliminate certain people and identify right. certain other people without warrants and without due process and then go find those people and arrest them for crimes for which there is no direct evidence. Like it's really fucking messed up. So the concerns of the surviving people who share this 
portions of this cell line with their ancestor, Henrietta Lacks, have really valid legal concerns here that if Henrietta's information has been used this widely, then by in some to some degree, their information is also knowable and being used in a similar way. Like it, it blurs lines of distinction. It blurs the lines of consent. Um, It gets really, really tricky. And then again, the issue of whether or not it's, it's kind of really strange to say your DNA doesn't strictly belong to you. Right. And, and because that's a legal framework trying to understand something that makes sense in biology, but doesn't make sense in abstraction. Like, I mean, I think to my mind, like a big issue here is the fact that, that, you know, we have capitalism butting up against the commodification of humans. Yes. And like, that's something that like when you put on the face of it, people are like, well, yeah, like you can't sell humans, but it's like, turns out you can, but where's the line? Right. Well, you can sell parts of humans, but can you? Well, yes, actually you can like, and, and you can sell, sell information about humans and you can, um, and so be, people become a commodity. It's like your existence becomes this like price tag of like, how much are you worth individually and what are Mm -hmm. we going to do with it? And can we take it for free? And yes, a lot of it we can. Yeah. And it's just, you know, you start to wonder like, where is our, like, you know, where are our freedoms? So, yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting because freedoms philosophically have to be defined by their limitations. Sure. So that's weird. Right. <laughs> yeah. I never really thought about that before. Yeah. Like, what defines a freedom? Well, the limitations you place around it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, to what extent are you free? Right. Um, so, yeah, this, I, when I, uh, I really, I really wanted to talk about Swedish beekeeping, a topic about which I am woefully underinformed. And so I was going to do a bunch of research into it and we yeah. were going to talk about bees. But then this came up and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like really timely and so much more important than yeah. My, yeah. my like dilettante sort of overview of right, beekeeping right. in another country I've never been to. Yeah. <laughs> but I was very fascinated by it because I am learning beekeeping. And someone was telling me about the differences between American mm-hmm. boo and Swedish yay beekeeping. Right. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't like this is incredible from like a design perspective. The mm-hmm. design mm-hmm. of Swedish versus American beekeeping. So I want to talk about that. But this is so much cooler and uh much more like um coherent because there's so much information that we can glean from yes. what other people have said about her. So yeah. yeah, I that's that's basically all that I definitely definitely wanted to say. I don't know if there's other things that you want to talk about I, I, related to this. I mean, we could we could go at length about what it <laughs> what it means to have like an immortalized or what an immortalized cell line looks like and and the variations among them and what their uses are, but um and actually Let's that brings Let's talk about me- that for a second. Okay, sure. Oh, that brings you to what? Uh, well, I was going to say it brings me to a point of like, I think this is one of our, so we've been talking for about 50 minutes, 54 yes. minutes. And this is a very dense podcast because usually if, if you've listened to our podcast before, you know, usually we just kind of ramble. Like it's sort of, you know, Pause start for long silences. Yes. There's a, you know, Meg <laughs> says something and I'm like, that reminds me of the rainbows outside. And now it's just like, we're talking about light refraction in the atmosphere or something like it's just not necessarily as cohesive as this was um and so uh i would encourage people also i usually say at the beginning but um we have an email address and dana is our ceo and founder of the podcast and if you email dana d-a-n-a at fcbm.io with your thoughts concerns ideas 
whatever criticisms, um, send them in. Uh, we will, they will, Dana will make sure we get them and read them. Um, and then, you know, if you want to be in touch with us, great. If you don't want to be in touch with us, you can say as such, if you don't want to be, you know, have anything of your information shared, that's for sure. The default position is that we would only ask for permission. Um, if we wanted to share anything that you shared with us, but, um, anyway, it brings me to the point of, uh, yeah, like we've been talking a lot about this and they're, yeah, they're the immortal, the immortalized cell lines are really interesting. I mean, they were really a mm-hmm. big, a big, big breakthrough. And the fact that, that Henrietta Lacks was like right at the, you know, at the fulcrum point, right? The like one. it's yeah, the one, was... it was like, she was the one. Um, and that is a pretty amazing. Cause we already talked about, um, like the eradication of polio. Um, the thing about, um, so you mentioned, you kind of hinted at the contamination with other cells, right? So one of the problems with, um, cells that are immortal is that they're tenacious, right? They, they're like their mechanism for, um, self, uh, autophagy or auto autophagy, autophagy, um, is broken, right? So they no longer self-regulate their Mm -hmm. existence and, break they're down like a runaway. Yeah. They're just a runaway. And so they're kind of like cellular machinery is just like run amok and ready to go and just keep going and consuming whatever resources are around it. And so, um, the issue of like, like if you're doing research in a lab where you have, um, an immortalized cell line, you have to be very careful because they will live in environments that you don't expect. Like right. your, you create these, Uh-oh. yeah. Like, and also, so one of the, th- one of the things with immortalized cell lines that I think people don't really think about is like, when you, usually when you're working with an immortalized cell line, you get some small sample of them, let's say like a hundred cells. Sure. And then you, which is a very small sample, like cells are tiny and a hundred of them is not very many. Right. And so you culture these, this small sample mm-hmm. so that they, um, the cells divide and multiply. Right. And so, yeah in that process in and of itself lends to mutations. So, um, like when I was working with PC 12 cells, we were very like the process was there was a, um, a doer, which is a, like a freezer container. Um, it's mm-hmm. like a big metal pot that you has liquid nitrogen in it so that you can keep stuff cryogenically preserved. Yep. Um, and so in there are these cryogenically preserved cells and our cell and the cells that you have are kind of labeled by generation, right? So we might have like we ordered generation three cells. And so when I go work with them, I need to put some cells back mm-hmm. and I need to label them. So I label them gen four, the ones it's that like I replaced. Virgin control. It is like virgin control. It's like an understanding that, um, you know, we may have characterized gen three or gen one cells, but there is mutations that could happen. And so as you work with later generations, they may have been influenced by your particular protocols of the things you're doing to differentiate the cells. Like one of the things we did with the PC 12 cells was try to force them into a dendritic sort of neurolog- neurological capacity mm. by introducing various hormones and other chemicals that we thought might trigger that. And, and to yeah. some sense we were ha- having success in that regard. Um, but that's a whole other topic. But my point is just <laughs> that um, those immortalized cells, um, there's many, 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 um, there's, they're derived from all kinds of animals. Um, there's some human fetal cells that were, uh, 
um, human embryonic kidney 293 cells. Um, those were uh, taken from a female fetus in 1973. So okay. I imagine that this is going to start to come up now that, that there's been a settlement. Yep. Yep, um, because now there's a there's a framework in which to make in these arguments legally and have these conversations yep. about, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so the, all of these different kind of cells, like they have different value to scientific research, sure. um, because their mutations are this way or that way, which make them ex exactly. better or worse for this or right. that thing. They they come from a certain kind of tissue. Mm -hmm. They have certain kind of properties. They have certain kind of internal mechanisms that we're wishing to study and see interactions with. You know, mostly it seems like drug research is the big thing that's being funded still. Um, mm. You know, mm -hmm. that that line of thinking where it's like you know you you get a particular drug and then you can just sell it for billions and billions and make, you know, right. make yourself super rich for, you know, giving people boners or whatever. Um, right. <laughs> Pfizer. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, and this is where it's like a lot of my skepticism or like my pessimism comes in, right? It's like all of these things in and of themselves are potentially really great, right? Like learning about how the human body works, understanding how we might be able to better help ourselves to live longer and be happier and have better health outcomes. Fantastic ideas, right? Yeah, sure. Except, except that <laughs> like we live in a country where it's like, no, 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 that's just driven by the pursuit of wealth, right? Of, right. of that pursuit of, um, very few individuals making, making lots and lots and lots of money and not, um, you know, that's not being, that's, that's not a net benefit necessarily. Right. Right. It's like, okay, you think like, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to save mankind, humankind, whatever mankind, yeah. humankind. It's going to save people from dying and suffering from these tragic diseases and this and that and the other thing. And you're like, great. That sounds great. I'm on board. What do we do? It's like, great. We'll start tomorrow. But here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to build a wall around this and we're only going to let some of you through the door to get at it. Yeah. I mean, there's also these problems of like, there's a huge incentive to like lie about the data, about yes. the actual effectiveness and outcomes. Right, um, because there's a feedback loop involved here yeah. where only things that are successful get funding. And so there is an effort. What If it takes success, the appearance of success to get funding, then what you strive for is the appearance of success, not actual success. Right. I mean, it's outrageous. It's just, it's just such a fucking shit show. Um, yeah. And then it's like, I'm sure people validate it in their own minds by saying like, well, if we don't get the funding, we won't ever do the research. And then we definitely won't find the things that work. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, again, the means are uh, the means to the end are what justify it. Like mm -hmm. the, yeah. it, it uh, we're saying like it will we'll sell out in the meantime because it's the only way to to achieve the hypothetical good in the end. Right. Right. Yeah. It yeah. also sucks too that like, okay, for example, during COVID, you know, it's like, uh, we have this public health crisis, so we're going to take public money to fund public research into these drugs and then allow all of the profits from the drugs that literally every on the button on the planet has a life or the death decision about taking right. all of the money from that just stays with the people who built the drugs as opposed to the people who put up the money to make them and who benefit from them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, it's like a that, funnel, like a money funnel. Yeah. I mean, that's not quite right. Usually the people who put in the money are the ones who get the money. Like, 
that's the problem, right? Right, like, right. Yeah. But that's not... But yeah, but the people who... I mean, Henrietta Lacks, up until yesterday, yeah, had no didn't benefit. Yeah, I mean, she got no benefit, period. They didn't, they didn't solve her cancer. They didn't pay her for nothing. Right. And they didn't help her family. Right. Um, and the only way they helped their family was through legal action, right? Like, their family yeah. had to be like, fuck you. Like, we're going to try and make this happen. And, you know, arguably, they probably got peanuts compared to what, you know the vast amount of wealth that was generated and then sequestered and set aside right. for the ultra wealthy. Right. Um, and that's where, yeah. I mean, that's where all of this is hard just not to be just like fucking pessimistic about all of it and just like, fuck it. What's the point? Like, why are we, you know, working for anybody or doing anything of any value, but these are valid um, questions. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but, Anyway, Henrietta Lacks, very interesting woman um, in her own right, which I appreciate um, reading about. I think that was something that that book. Um, so Rebecca Skloot, such S-K-L-O-O-T, Skloot, yeah, wrote this. Might be Skloot. Skloot, might be Skloot. Anyway, she wrote this book and it's really, it's, it's a really interesting book. I've really, I enjoyed reading it. Um, it's, and she is the one who told the family, Hey, yeah, this thing is going on. This thing is going on. Yeah. I mean, that's the fucked up thing, right? It's like, it's not even like, you know, it's like a lot of this shit is like so far removed from the people who are actually being harmed by it, that they're not even aware that that's the thing that's harming them. Yeah. Oh God, it's so insidious. Yeah. It's like, I, it's why I worry about like, you know, all of my private information just being like with the DNA shit is fucking maddening. Right. It's like, I can't control what my fucking, you know, cousin decides to do with 23 and me. And like now, like, you know, most of my DNA is fucking in some database somewhere. And you know, at the moment, like it's kind of like people are like, well, nothing bad's happening to you. It's like, right. But we know that there's no good incentive, right. For these people to have this information. Like yeah. there's not, these companies aren't incentivized to be like, and now we're going to do these great, wonderful acts of goodness for individuals and humanity. Yeah. There's no altruism here. This is it, a commercial entity trading your personal biological yeah. data for money. The most obvious incentive is like, is there any financial value in there for us? Not me, not Ned, not his DNA, but using his DNA is there financial value here or using my cousin's DNA to then know more about Ned so that I can maybe take some money from him in some way. Like, you know, um, yes, because once you know certain things, you can gain people's trust immediately because sir, if you... I, sh- I mean, I shouldn't even have to spell this out. If somebody knows intimate details about you, you are more likely to trust them. Right. Because it seems like they are aware of who you are as a person and close to you. That describes the closeness. That's what trust is built on. And so yeah. it can be, that can be weaponized this, very easily. This reminds me of an argument I was having with somebody about the nature of abuse and being like, you know, one of the early things that one might do to protect themselves from an abuser is to not share any personal information with them. Yes, I observe this 
And the other person's myself. argument was like, why would you give them that much power over your life? What, what are they going to do if they know about like your, your friends or your family or whatever? Like who cares? Like they can't do In anything. In other words, they were saying like it, you're giving them more power by allowing them to like put you in a position of not being able to speak to them and being like, yes, having yeah. to avoid them. Then the opposite, which is actually true, which is that giving them information about you can immediately be weaponized against you. Whereas right. avoiding them entirely removes that possibility. Right. Well, his argument was that they, how can they weaponize information against you? They can't. That's, that's you right. giving them power. And it's uh -huh. like, motherfucker, that's not how it works because once they have that information, that is power. They can do things with that. Like with these companies, it's like once they have information about you, they can now market against you. They can do yeah. against you, which I feel like is the appropriate term, right? Like yes. their goal is to free you of some money or, you know, energy yes. of some kind, some kind of resource. And yeah. so like, if they have that, they can do these things to you, regardless of whether you give them the power to or not. Like, right. You know, there was a time when I was like fucking ad blockers on everything and feeling pretty fucking good about the fact that I saw very little advertising in my daily life. And that mm -hmm. fucking ship has sailed. It's really hard to fucking combat that shit. Yeah. Right. Like you just like who isn't seeing ads all the goddamn fucking time? It's nonstop. I, I, I actually pretty much have disengaged. So I'm off all social media and have been since 2016. Yeah. Like. Uh, well, not, I mean, not because of like presidential elections. I was, it, it was prior to that and coincided sure. with that. And I was like, okay, this is the last draw. I'm definitely not ever spending time on social media anymore. Um, but like uh, the, the, uh, the amount of inferential data that just pours out of you yes. on a social media platform makes you vulnerable to exploitation from almost countless angles yep and i just thought man i don't want to have anything to do with this f for myself or for anybody else and for the reasons that you just said like it's impossible to control that and as soon as it's given up from you you've ceded control to whoever else wants to take that information and use it yeah. uh in ways that you have like who knows who knows right that's my other thing it's like it doesn't yeah you don't have to know, like just knowing that their intentions are not positive and good towards you is enough. Right. That you can be like, right, got it. Just shut fucking shut the doors. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about the concept of like immortality or just the concept of like at any given time, if you blink your eyes in that moment, there's, things being born into existence, things exiting existence and a bunch of stuff in the middle and how like individually each one of us no longer existing anymore isn't necessarily um, relevant because we share so much of our DNA that, and there's so many of us distributed over time uh, longitudinally and laterally that like the essence of who you and a bunch of your ancestors and your future descendants is is around at any given time and it just sort of like shades marginally from one direction to another with mutations over time and i mm -hmm. just thought i was thinking about that and then the news about henrietta Lacks came out and i was just like well that was weirdly coincidental right 
I was thinking about birds and like generations of birds in my neighborhood. And I'm like how the same DNA that was in birds for many generations ago is still in circulation in the yeah. birds that are with me now and their future mm-hmm. offspring. And so some version of the bird that has that DNA is always here. There are, um, it's, it's funny. Like it is, it is really strange. Um, that makes me think of there's a book called the beak of the finch which is an excellent mm. book uh it was written in 1994 um it's a non-fiction book about evolutionary biology written by Fabulous. jonathan weiner um okay. and uh th- basically um the finches of the title are the galapagos or darwin's finches right the um, ones where he realized, oh, certain animals adapt to yes. their traits to certain environments, and that happens over time. And the closer you approximate the appropriate adaptation, the more yes. you see the evolution. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this couple of biologists, Peter and mm-hmm. Rosemary Grant, um, spent 20 years proving that Char- uh, Charles Darwin did not know the full strength of the, his theory of evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, they lived in the Galapagos. Um, and they studied the beak of the finch and they have all this data about the, the generations of birds and how the seeds that they're eating and the migratory patterns of them are changing the beaks and how their beak shape is fluctuating over generations around the food sources, which are fluctuating over generations. And so there's this like, and, and so the book is really fascinating because you can read all about that as well as like kind of their lives and their experience of collecting all this data. Um, Amazing. And it's a really good book. And it for sure, um, I, you know, I didn't grow up in a, in a space where I was like, you know, struggling to like come to terms with the reality of, of um, the ex- like, or I didn't, I didn't live in a space where the idea of evolution was like particularly attacking my core beliefs. Right. Yeah. So if you have never really considered it, I, you know, you Meg or anybody who's listening to this, if you are not somebody who is in that space, but maybe you haven't thought that much about evolution, this is a really, I thought it was a really good book to really kind of give you like this like picture of like what evolution really means for individuals. Right. Um, yes, because it gets distilled down to the sentence. Oh, it's the survival of the fittest. And that is such a miscategorization. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. Like, that um, does not describe what right. evolution is. Right. I mean, this book is like, I, it's like this observation of the, the tides of time and evolution. Right this just kind of ebb and flow of the changes that are happening over these individual animal lives and plant lives and, and these humans, right. Being able to observe it within their timeline. Yeah. Um, which is always a struggle, right? It's like when you're living within the thing, it's hard to observe the thing sometimes. Um, yes. So (laughs) cue the inward facing circle. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, well, we also experience time as a linear function where it points in one direction and it's a line of one of sequential. Now this is happening. Now this thing is happening. And the thing Mm -hmm. that was happening before is no longer happening. And the thing that's about to happen is going to happen. But this thing is, it's always now the Mm future is always about to happen and the past is what just did. And so, because we perceive that to be, how stuff works yep we don't realize that like there's a temporospatial component to all of this that's expanding in multiple dimensions at the same time so it's not going in a straight line right with one thing after another it's 
a bunch of stuff happening simultaneously. And anytime you try to analyze that, you're really just taking a snapshot of how shit was at one moment in time. And mm-hmm. it has, it has strayed from that since henceforth. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> and so like these sort of patterns become clearer and less abstract when you see large data sets and how they change over time. Yeah. Um, and I think that like that's the context in which evolution makes the most sense. Right. Right. As opposed to we used to be monkeys. <laughs> right. Not, right. Yeah, we never like, we never we used, never to, used be to be something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but to get to get into all of that and why I say that is like a whole other conversation too and then we'd be like 6 hours in. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, I love this subject matter so much. I just yeah. like I I love um I just love how genetics works. Yeah, yeah, same. I love the subject of genetics. I just love it so much. So yeah, uh we we did we did lax at last. We did lax at last. You know what we have is a color of the day. <gasps> Some of our podcast listeners will be very excited about this. I was told personally that they were very disappointed that we had Oh. No longer been doing colors of the day. Sorry, colors. Oh, of the day. Yeah. oh my God. And talk about like perfect colors for this subject yes. today. Right? Yeah. So <clears throat> the um the first color of the day is awesome in its directness and simplicity and relevance to the topic at hand. It is biographical note. A lovely periwinkle blue color. Yes. Uh, with RGB value 75, 67, 161, and hexadecimal uh, hashtag 4B43A1 or Octothorpe. Yes. 4B43A1. So if you like type into Google RGB 75, comma, 67, comma, 161, or Hashtag 4B43A1. You will come up with the same very color. Yeah, and then you can see what we're what we're sharing right now. And you no. can look at the color that we are looking at, and you can agree or disagree with our assessment that it is a periwinkle blue. Yes, exactly. Yes. Uh, yeah. um, and then the second color. Yes, the second color. Non-aggressive speaking. Um, mm. What a lovely sort of compliment. Um, so yes. its uh, its RGB values are one two eight. One six zero one eight zero, and the hexadecimal value, which again is the easiest to put in Google, um, you're just going to put in a hashtag eight zero a zero b four. That's hashtag eight zero alpha zero bravo four. This is like a, it's it's like a a gray blue, like a light gray blue. Yeah, it's like foggy. Foggy, yes, foggy. it almost has some like green to it. I think like it, it, it's just a little bit green, blue. It's that like sea foam fog almost. Right. Like it's, yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely like a greener blue than a purple blue or a red blue. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. And it's very, um, I think these two colors go well together. I think they Mm -hmm. could, I could see them, um, and I would feel very serene in a room that had this like yes, color scheme. Yes, yeah, exactly. 
Um, yeah. And anyway, so these are the colors for today. Uh, so if you're listening to this and you are feeling like you want to mess with some colors, these would be some good ones to start with. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yes. Suck it, Pantone. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah. That's, that's the deal. Right. Yeah. That is the deal. So go read a book about Henrietta Lacks. Yeah. Uh, you know, or any of the other like topics we've spiraled off talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It'll occupy the rest of your summer reading list. Yeah. Two books today. So yeah. Uh, the Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks and uh, Beak of the Finch. Yes. Um, both of those would be um, very, if you were interested in kind of what's going on with biology and wanted to kind of read about them or read about it a little bit, those would be good recommendations, both mm -hmm. factual, but really interesting stories to follow and be engaged with. Yeah. So great. Cool. Thanks for listening. Everybody. Okay. Thanks everybody. Okay. <laughs>